Hello, everyone. I'm your host, DJ Hamilton. Welcome to another edition of the DJ Sports Show. Um, I like to. I was gonna drop this episode before the Anthony Simon interview, but I just want to thank you to thank you guys for the huge support on the episode. The huge, huge support. I got over a hundred plays on the episode, and I want to thank you guys so much. Anyone who listened to the show, shouted me out, everything. Like, I really, really appreciate you guys for that. Like, I, I made this show before that episode came out, but I decided since I never did an interview, let me drop that first. So yeah, man. I, I was and I was trying to keep promoting that to get more plays on it. And I, I never I didn't I, I had no clue, I had no imagination in my mind that I thought I was gonna reach hundred plays. And I, now I passed hundred plays. I have like 105 plays now on it. So I'd like to thank Anthony Simon, my homie, that star basketball player for coming on the show. Appreciate you so much. It couldn't have been possible without you. And all the listeners, it couldn't have been possible without you either. Thank you guys so much. And I'm so thankful for you guys. So yeah, so in this show, you're gonna we're gonna talk about week four NFL takeaways. Doc Rivers getting fired. I mean not Doc Rivers getting fired, getting hired by Philadelphia 76ers. And positive COVID tests in the NFL that have been affecting um, the NFL as a whole and postponing games. We're going to talk about the NBA Finals. Man, my boy LeBron James, Lakers took care of business. Anthony Davis and Bron King won another Finals MVP. So we're going to get into all of that and let's get to it, man. Let's get on right into it. So, yes, the first topic we're going to talk about is um, Doc Rivers getting hired by Philadelphia 76ers after recently getting fired by Los Angeles Clippers. And they have agreed, according to ESPN reports, Adrian Wojnarowski, senior NBA insider, they have agreed on a five-year deal to become, he has agreed on a five-year deal to become the next coach of Philadelphia 76ers. After, like I previously said, after officially getting, getting rid, after the Clippers got rid of him, and then three days later, he becomes sixth head coach, and he will return to the Eastern Conference like he was normally earlier in his career with the Orlando Magic or Tracy McGrady, and then the big three Boston Celtics, where he won a title as a coach in 2008. He will join the Sixers and try to bring in a championship mentality, even though despite losing 3-1, he'll have to show that he could lead a team to become a championship contender again. Because Doc River now, he's had some talented teams in his career, and he hasn't been able to lead them to play off much playoff success to the conference finals or NBA finals. And he's had guys like Chris Paul, Blake Griffin, DeAndre Jordan, Kawhi Leonard, and Paul George, just to name some great players. So, Sixers general manager Anthony Brand on Monday reached out to Rivers and his agent, Lonnie Cooper, to gauge his interest in the Sixers' job. There were, other, there were also other candidates that are in position. There was Tyron Lue I was hearing, Mike D'Antoni. I honestly thought Doc Rivers is the best fit because Mike D'Antoni, I don't feel like his system, that fast-paced system where they don't really have a traditional big, will fit with the Sixers' philosophy because 
big, um, Joel Embiid, he's a great player, one of the best bigs in the league, but he's more of a traditional big man mold, like the 90s. And Ben Simmons, like, Ben Simmons can't shoot for nothing. So, like, he had guys who could score the basketball and could shoot, like Steve Nash, James Harden, those guys who are some of the best players the league has ever seen in offensive players. Like, Steve Nash could shoot, and James Harden could score. And Ben Simmons is neither one of those guys. He can't shoot like Steve Nash, and he can't score like Harden. So, yes, he'll be able to implement the system, but it won't be at the the highest of its potential that it could reach with the Sixers because Ben Simmons can't he can't do what those guys can do. But, yeah, so he takes over the Sixers team that lost in the first round of the Eastern Conference playoffs, and he continues to consider changes to a roster that already um, remains determined to construct around all-star Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons. There is hope that the reunion with Rivers could also impact its forward, their forward Tobias Harris and maximizing his play with the Sixers. He he was Tobias Harris. He was he was a former player of Doc Rivers when he was on the Clippers. After he before he got traded by the Clippers in February 2019, under Rivers he was having his best NBA season, averaging over 20 points per game on 50% shooting from the field and 43% from the three-point line. Uh, Rivers had been intrigued enough with the roster marketplace and organization to fly from the west coast to sit down with philadelphia's hierarchy he takes over the spot succeeding brett brown who had the job for seven seasons but was fired after the sixers were swept by the celtics in the first round the sixers philadelphia has not won an nba championship since 1983 when they won with julius irving and the great moses malone two all-time greats and mo cheeks andrew tony that whole squad bobby jones and Bede, he welcomed Rivers with open arms on Twitter, saying he was excited for the future and what we're building here. He tweeted, welcome to the city of Burley Love, coach at Doc Rivers. Excited for the future and what we're building here. Sources also told ESPN on Thursday that one serious possibility of joining Rivers staff is Alvin Gentry, who in August was fired by the New Orleans Pelicans. If you guys listened to any of my, my few, a few episodes ago when I talked about all those coaches that were getting fired, it was crazy what was happening that week. Coaches were getting fired. Hired there, it was it was crazy what was going on after. So he was dismissed as the head coach of the Pelicans after five seasons. So Rivers, who is 58 years old, has two years left on his Clippers contract, and he remains owed a significant sum of money by the Clippers. Although typically there are offset agreements on the payout put into place should a coach be hired in a new job. In his seven seasons as a Clippers head coach, he went he won 356 games and lost 208 winning 63% of his regular season games, the fifth, the fifth best record in NBA, and the best by any team without a conference finals appearance. They went 49-23 during this regular season, the fourth best record in franchise history, but they squandered, straight out choked, and got them destroyed by the Denver Nuggets after blowing a 3-1 lead in the Western Conference semifinals, surrendering leads of 16, 19, and 12 points as the franchise's Western Conference Finals drought continues and it has now reached 50 years, half a century, half a century since they've been uh, uh, taken into the association, they have not reached co- the Conference Finals and they came to the NBA in 1970, 50 years, not one of the Conference Finals parents. It's crazy, man. Rivers was the coach in five of the Clippers' six best regular seasons, but he went three and eight in potential playoff series clinching games. That's tied for the worst mark by a single coach with one team. He also coached Orlando Magic in addition to the Clippers and Celtics and has 943 career wins, which is 11th most by a head coach of all time. Uh, Steve Kerr, Golden State Warriors coach, said he was happy to see Rivers get another job quickly. 
It's what Steve Kerr had to say, and I quote, I'm excited for docking for the Sixers during a Thursday call with reporters. He's a great coach, and I mentioned the other day, great for the league. So I'm happy that he's quickly back in the NBA. He's important for the league and for the rest of the coaches. Like a, and then, like I also mentioned before, they also Sixers also interviewed Clippers assistant Ty Lue, who's also going to be running. I think he's the top candidate to be in the running for the Clippers head coach job because I don't see Alvin Gentry fitting with that team or Mike D'Antoni because Mike D'Antoni has improved. He can win a championship with his style of play and his coaching style, and he's not willing to adapt to the modern NBA. Like, yes, you get it if you want to play fast-paced, but you have to emphasize defense too. Defense wins championships. Offense wins games, but defense wins championships. So the Pelicans, the Pelicans are also looking to interview Tyron Lue in the near future as well. So Tyron Lue, he's going to get offers probably from New Orleans Pelicans and Los Angeles Clippers. Those are going to be his top two suitors. And I feel like Alvin Gentry, I don't know what team's going to hire him. I feel like the six being assistant coach on the Sixers with Doc Rivers will go well for him because he brings. he's not a great defensive coach, but offensively he has proven to be successful in the league. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what he does with Joel Embiid with, uh, and Ben Simmons, man. Those are two guys who have the chance to be, like, some of the best players of all time. Embiid is making his mark as one of the best picks in the league now for the last couple of years. He needs to put Embiid in the post, emphasize him more in the post more. Like, yeah, I don't mind you shooting threes, but I don't want you shooting threes, being on the perimeter so much when you're arguably the strongest big man in the entire league. Like, get Embiid in shape and get him right. Because he, man, if he gets in shape, man, it's over for the Eastern Conference. Like, I don't see anyone who can guard him, any big. He's stronger than Anthony Davis, stronger and quicker than Nikola Jokic. Like, like he's dangerous, man. He just needs to get in shape. Doc Rivers can install that maturity and toughness in him. Maybe even bring Kevin Garnett to work out with him, a former player of his who had the intensity, arguably the most intense player in NBA history, along with Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant. Like, if he, if he could do that, get him beat in shape, and then tell Ben Simmons have confidence in your jump shot, even though if you don't make, even though we know you're not the best shooter, at least take it to keep the defense honest. If he does that, man, it's going to be exciting to see what they do next year because the Eastern Conference is only going to get tougher. Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving coming back on the Nets. Like, yeah, they got to get the chemistry, but they're going to be more talented and they have the two superstars back. Boston's only going to get better with more experience. Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum is going to come back better. Kimball Walker have a year under their belt. They have that chemistry now. And it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting to see what happens. They need to build their bench better because they don't have a lot of a depth on the Boston Celtics. The Raptors are the Raptors. Pascal Siakam, Kyle Lowry are gonna lead that team. They're gonna be gritty. They're gonna have a top four seed. The Heat aren't going anywhere. Jimmy Butler and Bam, Tyler Hero, that squad is here to stay for the next couple of years. And yeah, man, like it's gonna be interesting to see what's gonna happen. Man, the East is only getting better and better. Milwaukee, the Bucks. We'll see if Giannis. I, I, I don't know how I forgot them. Giannis, he needs to come back with a better jump shot. If he does, and the Bucks put better pieces around him, maybe make some trades or get a quality free agent, that's like legit five, six teams in the East that have a chance to be like really good. And then I think the Nets, Bucks, Heat, they'll come out the East next year. Sixers, if they if they get their roster right, and if B gets in, he gets in beat in shape, and Simmons takes starts taking jumpers and improves his jump shot. They have a chance to come out the East. It'll be a shame if Simmons and Embiid never win a championship for Philly, man. That's just, that's just so much wasted potential. When they came together, honestly, I thought they were going to be a dynasty. I know they still have time, but I thought they were at least reached the conference finals by now. But they're still both very young. 
and we'll see what happens in the next couple of years. But yeah, Doc Rivers is now the new head coach of the Philadelphia 76ers. So yes, now let's get into that Lakers heat game, man. Lakers came out flat, straight up. Lack of effort. LeBron James, yes, he had 25 points, 10 rebounds, 8 assists, but to go along with 8 turnovers. That's way too way too many turnovers for one player, man. He, even he said he needs to do a better, better job taking care of the ball, securing possessions, and being more secure because they have great they have great defenders where they cause deflections of the ball, and he needs to do a better job of that next game, like he said in the post-game interview. Anthony Davis, he was in foul trouble. He had like four fouls I was listening to on the radio on my way back from work. He had like four fouls at the half. Like, bro, your team needs you, man. He only ended the game with 15 points, five rebounds, three assists, a pedestrian game compared to his standards. Dwight Howard only had four points, three rebounds. They straight up were more physical against this um, Lakers team, and it showed. It really showed. Dwight Howard only three rebounds. Anthony Davis only five rebounds. Dwight Howard is one of the strongest players ever played in the NBA. How he only had three rebounds in 15 minutes? Foul trouble. Anthony Davis... Five turnovers in himself, him and him and LeBron James. You can't have you're not gonna win ball games if your two best players can't secure the ball and commit both over ten turnovers. Oh, both over ten turnovers. They both had thirteen turnovers combined in the game. It doesn't give your defense a chance to set up because they're getting out in open transition, getting easy baskets. And man, Jimmy Butler, bro, he had the best game in his career last night. His first career triple double in the playoffs. He had forty points. 11 rebounds and 13 assists in 45 minutes. He played pretty much almost every minute of the game. He's one of the best conditioned athletes and players in the NBA. His workout regimen must be crazy. You can see, you saw how tired he was. He was still pushing at the end of the game and led his team to a victory. And now it makes it a series 2-1 instead of Lakers going up 3-0. This really makes it a series now. Jay Crowder put in 12 points, 8 rebounds. Duncan Robinson... Helped out as well, 13 points, 5 boards, 3 assists. Tyler Hero and Kelly Olenek each had 17 points to help Debbie Butler and take pressure off him to help the lead win with a victory of 115-104 to make the series 2-1. And now going to Game 4, you know the Lakers going to come out more aggressive, put more effort in, because now they know their backs are on the wall. If they lose Game 4, 2-2, oh man, the media is going to kill them. And be like, LeBron James, oh, he's going to lose another finals. You know how they are, man. LeBron gets the most hate of any athlete I've ever seen. It's ridiculous. Ridiculous. The hate he gets, no matter what he does. I've never seen an athlete be so scrutinized in my entire life. <laughs> it's crazy, man. Even if he has a great game and they lose, they still find a way to blame everything on LeBron James. But that's what that's what comes with it, man. When you're the, When you're one of the star players on your team, you get all the credit when you win. But you also get a lot of the blame when you lose, man. That's what comes with it. You ask for it, man. But yeah, man, it's going to be interesting to see tomorrow game four, 9 o'clock p.m. on ABC. How the Lakers come out. Are they going to come out pushing with aggressiveness right or off the bat? They have to rebound the ball way better. They can't let the heat get in their heads with their physicality. And hopefully they could take a commanding 3-1 lead. And then game five, I believe, will be on Thursday or Friday. And then hopefully close out the deal later in the week, man, to capture that fourth ring for LeBron James, Anthony Davis's first ring. I really want the Lakers to win. But the Heat, they have proven to be one of the most 
resilient teams I've ever seen. Like, this playoff run has been truly amazing and incredible for them. And I can't wait to see what happens in Game 4. Do they come out with that same energy like they did in Game 3? Will Jimmy Butler have to have another heroic performance? Will Tyler Hero shoot better? Will um, Bam Adebayo play? I don't. I doubt Goran Dragic is going to play. He tore his facilitus in his foot. I really doubt he's going to play. That's a really painful injury. I, I, I think he's done for the series, for the season. But Bam Adebayo, he hurt his shoulder. But he could probably come back next game. We'll see. That gives him because it gives him another extra few days to um to present and to uh, heal up. So it's gonna. I can't wait to see Game Four, man. Both teams can come out firing, shooting on all cylinders, and I expect the Lakers to bounce back after a lackadaisical effort in Game Three. So yes, Game Four happened last night, and man, was it a dogfight! The Heat did not let up on the Lakers. LeBron James and the Miami and the Lakers take a commanding 3-1 lead. He still had a lot of turnovers in the game. I think he needs to improve on that in Game 5. Didn't want to close it out, and so he captured his fourth championship. But overall, he had 28 points, 12 boards, 8 assists. Anthony Davis has some key blocks and defensive plays at the end of the game in the fourth quarter. He had 22 points, 9 rebounds, and 4 assists. Caldwell Pope had some big buckets. When the game was tied, he hit some clutch shots to help cushion the lead, give them a 6-point lead in there late in the fourth quarter. He had 15 points, 5 assists, and 3 boards. Danny Green, 10 points. Mar- Mar- Markeith Morris hit some big shots down the stretch, and they took they won the game 102-96 to take command a 3-1 lead going to game 5. Jimmy Butler... He didn't have the type of game he had last game. He had a near triple-double, but not the scoring output. He had 22 points, 9 assists, and 10 boards in 43 minutes. Jay Crowder chipped in 7 boards, 8 points. Bam Adebayo came back from his injury and chipped in 15 points, 7 boards. Tyler Hero had 21 points and 7 boards. He's the youngest player in the NBA final and of NBA playing in the NBA Finals ever, even younger than Magic Johnson, who won the chip and Finals MVP, I believe, in his rookie season. When he played in that historic game where he had 42 points, 15 boards, and like seven assists, and in, in, in coming in for Kareem playing center. Duncan Robinson chipped in 17 points as well, but it just wasn't enough for the Heat to overcome the superstar led Lakers by LeBron James. The Lakers, after a last physical effort in game three, came out on all cylinders and effort in game four. They at least, even though LeBron James was still struggling securing the ball, they still came out and played with emphasis. Um, both teams didn't. Sh- the Lakers made 36% of their threes, converting for, um, 14 and 39 of their three-pointers. They shot 44% from the field, while the Heat shot 42%. And the Heat only converted on 34% of their three-pointers, shooting 11 and 32 from the field. Um, Lakers shot 85% from the free throw line, converting 18 to 21 attempts. And while the Heat shot 80%, converting 21 to 26 attempts. Yeah, man, the the Lakers dominated on the boards this game. I mean, it, only by a three-rebound margin, 42 rebounds to the Heat's 39 compared to game three where they were lackadaisical in effort. But, hey, a win's a win, man. They had 34 points in the paint. The Heat had a lot of fouls, though. 21 fouls really cost them. They had a the Heat, The Lakers had 15 turnovers to the Heat's 11. The Lakers had 34 points in the paint to the Heat's 32, so it was kind of evenly matched. No, nobody was really overmatching the game. So, like, yeah. So now the Lakers have to take care of business 
don't get ahead of themselves. <clears throat> Take care of business, you mean? <laughs> yeah, but yeah, don't get ahead of yourselves. Stay in the moment. Rest up. Ice up your body. Around around the clock, treat me, as LeBron would say, after he said after the post game, And go through a walkthrough and practice. Watch the film on Thursday, I guess. And then get ready for war on Game 5 because the Heat aren't going to go down without a fight, man. They're not going to want to try to keep pushing the series to Game 6, which would be Sunday if the Heat win. So, yeah, I expect the Lakers to try to... LeBron James, Anthony Davis, and Lakers try to come out, play hard, and try to get this done with, man. Get that 17th championship for the franchise and that fourth championship for LeBron James, man. And that first ring for Anthony Davis and Dwight Howard, and the second one for Rondo, who'll be the, probably, the I think, the only player ever to win on the two most historic franchises and having a key role in each franchise of winning that championship with the Celtics in 08 and in 2020 with the Lakers. So I expect the Lakers to take care of business in Game 5 on Friday night and close the series out to capture that 17 championship for LA Nation and for the great Kobe Bryant and his daughter and those got people who died on that helicopter crash. Dedicate the season and this chip to Kobe and his daughter, man. Let's get this let's get this ring, man. Let's do it. LA Nation, baby. So now I'm going to talk about what Finals MVP means to LeBron and AD's legacy. So LeBron wins it. He'll be one of two players ever to have more than three Finals MVP in his entire career, with the other one being the legendary and arguably the greatest player of all time in most people's eyes, Michael Jordan. Think about that. For all the great players in NBA history, those two will be the only ones with more than three finals MVPs. That that's just legendary. Legendary. And you got guys like Chris Broussard saying if he doesn't win finals MVP, it puts him out of the GOAT conversation GOAT discussion with MJ because MJ was the best player on each championship team. That that every year they won the championship, he was the finals MVP. He was the clear cut best player. And then if A D wins it. I honestly think if AD wins it, he's on the trajectory. If he wins more championships and shows he could lead a team to win, especially after LeBron gets old and retires, he could be in the conversation for the second greatest power forward of all time. So I think whoever wins Finals MVP, if they close out Game 5 tomorrow on ABC, or if hopefully, because I don't, I don't expect the Heat to come back down 3-1. They just don't have the talent on that team. The only way to come back down 3-1 is if the Lakers contradict themselves and allow themselves to lose. But yeah, if AD wins finals MVP and more championships in his career and wins more, he has a chance to be the second greatest power forward of all time. That's ahead of guys like Barkley, Carmelo. If he wins an MVP, he could be ahead of Kevin Garnett. But I think him, get, I, I, when, I, when he was younger, I thought he had a chance to get to Tim Duncan. That ship has sailed. Tim Duncan has that spot unlocked for a while. But Anthony Davis, if he wants Finals MVP and continues to improve in his career and get more accolades and winning championships and MVPs, he has a chance to be the second greatest power forward of all time. And as for LeBron, this will further like make people think he's the GOAT, man. And he arguably is. So I feel like whoever wants Finals MVP is going to do wonders for both players' legacies. So... We're going to talk about the rest of the series. So game five, the Heat the Heat beat the Lakers 111 to 108. And Lakers were wearing the mama jersey. They were trying to close it out. LeBron James had a magnificent game five. He had 40 points, 13 boards, seven assists. Anthony Davis helped as well, 28 points, 12 boards, three assists. 
Caldwell Pope chipped in 16 points. He, he he played pretty good in the finals, but they lost to the Heat. Jimmy Butler had a spectacular game five. Um, had a 35 point triple double, 35 points, 12 boards, 11 assists. Duncan Robinson was a big part in that, helping that Heat. The Heat win that game five, 26 points. Tyler Hero chipped in 12, Kendrick Nunn 14, Bam Adebayo 13, with Jay Crowder chipping in 11. And it came down to the crucial moments, man. Like, the Lakers looked like they were going to close it out, but Jimmy Butler had to answer every time down the floor when LeBron scored as well. They were going at each other, at each other, man. It was just a beautiful duel that we were watching, man. LeBron James, you couldn't fault him, man. He was, he was shooting amazing. He was efficient. He was finding teammates, getting to the teeth of the defense. He, he was just flat-out amazing throughout the whole series. And um and it came to the and game five, it looked like they were gonna close it out because man, they were within like each team was up one point, one moment, or tied in like the last two minutes of the fourth quarter in game five. And LeBron had big baskets. Jimmy Butler, whew, clutch free throws. He can shoot free throws, man, under pressure. He he's he's built for pressure moments, Jimmy Butler. I hope you guys give more respect to this guy. They be talking about this guy like he ain't a star in the league, bro. He's a star, man. He is a future Hall of Famer in my eyes. He's been a perennial all-star, all-defense, all-NBA. You know, you know, I'm not going to get into all that, but he's a future Hall of Famer. But Danny Green, LeBron was triple team on that last drive with the winding seconds going down. He threw it out to Danny Green, wide open three, and Danny Green bricked it. And then he he was really been struggling throughout the season, especially in the playoffs with his shot. And then he was getting death threats to his wife, which was really um, not, not acceptable. Like, uh, Like, okay, we get it. You're struggling on the court, but keep it on the court, ladies and gentlemen. Don't give the man death threats to his family or to him in general. Like, it's not, it's just in the end, and all, all in the end, it's just a game that they're playing. Like, don't be threatening the man's family. That's not cool. But, and then Markeith Morris got the rebound, and then he, I don't know what he was thinking. He threw it out of bounds. I, I guess he was trying to find AD for a lob, but he threw it out of bounds. And then, Snoop Dogg was posting on Instagram like Danny Green, how many more shots are you gonna miss? And he was he was getting roasted by Keith Morris as well. And you couldn't fault LeBron for losing game five, but and then game six yesterday, the Lakers clinched their 17th NBA championship, being the Miami Heat, 106 to 93. And it was just amazing performance by the whole Lakers squad and the King. LeBron James clinching their 17th championship in franchise history, tied with the Boston Celtics for the two leading franchises with the most championships in NBA history. LeBron had a magnificent game. He had another triple double, and they they did them they did it they did it man. They, he clinched his fourth championship. He won the Finals MVP. Like I mentioned earlier, who would win it? And I'm just proud, man. I'm just so proud right now. Like the trials and tribulations they went through to get to go through what they went through in the bubble. I know haters like Skip Bayless and Rob Parker are going to put an asterisk or whatever. A lot of people, Laura LeBron here is going to put an asterisk next to the championship, but I'm not. A championship is a championship, man. Everybody went through the same protocols. Everybody had that time off. No one had a advantage over another team. I'm going to treat this ring like it's and this ring is one of his greatest championships to me because all like the social justice, the COVID nineteen, what was going on, Kobe's death, like and all the talk, oh he can't do it in the West and he proved everybody wrong and did it, man. 
He had a gentleman's he had a gentleman sweep in every single round. The Lakers did not lose two playoff games in a row at all. They beat Portland in five, beat um Houston in, in five. That had James Harden and Russell Westbrook, two guys who won MVP. They had um they beat Denver. It has great young studs. Jokic looking like a future Hall of Famer. Jamal Murray looking like one of the next best young guards in the league. And Michael Porter, another great young piece. They beat that team, the deep Denver team. People want to say, oh, like Skip Bayless. Oh, he didn't have to play the Clippers. Oh, he had an easy cakewalk. Well, is it his fault the Clippers choked? They took the 3-1 lead to the Denver Nuggets? No, it's not his fault. You can't control that. The Lakers can't control that. Is it his fault the Bucks couldn't beat the Heat? who they were easily supposed to beat, according to most um, experts. In the second round, they get lost to the Miami Heat, the underdogs. Is it their fault? No. You can't blame it. You can't blame, you can't blame it on the Lakers. That's on the Bucks and that's on the, on the Clippers for choking. You can't blame it on them. That's on Kawhi, Giannis, and Paul George for choking. They didn't show up. And the Lakers took care of business again against the Heat and beat them in six games. And, man, I'm just happy, man. I want to give credit to LeBron. First player ever to win three different championships for three different franchises, three different franchises, and being the best player on each of those franchises. And every time he goes to a franchise before he gets there, they're struggling. And when he leaves, they go back to struggling like mightily. Look at the Cavaliers. When he left the Cavaliers to the Heat, they were consistently number one pick in the lottery every single year. When and and then when he went to the Heat. They were eight before he went to the Heat. They were only eighth seed in the East, and when he went to the Heat, they were consistently at the top of the Eastern Conference, along with D Wade and Chris Bosh. And then when he left the Heat, the Heat were average. The next no, the next year they missed the playoffs. They didn't even make the playoffs the next year after he left. And then he goes back to the Cavaliers, who were consistently in the lottery. They go to the finals every single year. He came back every those four straight years, and he won a chip with the Cavs twenty sixteen, coming back down three one against the historic. Golden State Warriors team, who has the two greatest shooters I've ever seen in my life, Steph Curry and Klay Thompson. Yes, over Ray Allen, over Reggie Miller. Those are the two greatest shooters we've ever seen. And a defensive player of the year in Draymond Green, and a Swiss Army knife in Andre Iguodala, and a deep bench. And yes, he lost to KD when he went to the Warriors 2017-2018, but it just wasn't fair. They were unbeatable at that point. You're supposed to lose to that team. So I can't fault him for those two finals losses. And then before he goes to the Lakers, Lakers, how many years they missed the playoffs? Six straight years. They haven't been to the finals since 2010. And he comes back. Yes, he misses the playoffs first year because he had the groin injury. So he missed. That was his first and only significant injury in his entire career. He missed how many games? 25, 30 games. He got a groin injury on Christmas Day of 2018. And they missed the playoffs. And he didn't really have a great supporting cast at all. But he, they were before he got hurt, they were fourth in the West. And he didn't really have another all-star to think of. Who, Lonzo Ball, Kyle Kuzma? They ain't all-stars. They haven't proven it yet, at least. And um, and then trade for Anthony Davis this year. And he wins a chip, bro. In historic fashion, through all the trials and tribulations. You can't fault the man, man. Like, you got to give him his credit. I don't care if you hate LeBron. If you don't have LeBron in your top three all-time, or I don't care if you call him the GOAT, or in your top two, you're just, if you don't have him in your top three at this point, you're just a hater. I'm sorry. You're just a hater. His all-around ability and the show he could lead any team to a winning record. He led a team of bums and scrubs and the old seven calves, that roster to the finals. That had no business making the finals. 
He could lead any group of players. As long as he's healthy and he got some shooters, they don't even have to be stars. As long as he has that, they can make the playoffs, and they're going to guarantee you they're going to get past the first round. And maybe the second round, too. He's that great. He literally carries a franchise on his back. Man, and the GOAT this conversation, this guy even better, yo. We're going to get into that another episode, though. But, yeah, man, I'm going to give LeBron his credit. But I also want to give credit to Rondo, um, breaking down the Heat defense, being an extra ball handler for the, for the Lakers, take pressure off LeBron James when he's on the bench, being an orchestrator, the leader that he is, showing it now again with the Lakers like he did in Boston. And he's one of two players, along with Clyde Lovelett, an old, old, old school player from the 50s who was a, who was a Hall of Famer. One of the greats of the game, who a lot of you guys don't know because it's from all the way back then. But, yeah, he's one of two players now to win championships with the Celtics and Lakers. And he was a big part of both teams. I, f- I feel like James, Rondo, and Davis were the three most important players for the Lakers. And Rondo was a big part in their def- in their, in their success in the playoffs this um, postseason. When he came back, like, the Lakers played so much better. I saw the difference, man. On the defensive end, he was getting scrappy, getting steals, rebounding the ball. Offensive end, making everybody better. Taking pressure off LeBron James so he could cut, make plays, and not always have to orchestrate the offense. He was just doing so many things. He was a he was a coach on the court. So LeBron doesn't have to do everything. Give credit to AD. AD comes. He's the best big in the league, bro. Everybody, he's, everybody knew he was talented, one of the best players in the league, but... Can you win? Can you do it on the big stage? And he proved that this postseason, man. He played lights out in the playoffs. He played great. He had an ankle injury, but he fought through it and sucked it up to help his team win a championship. And now he can always call himself a championship. He's one of, what, three players, I think, to have a gold medal NBA championship and an NCAA title, along with the great Magic Johnson, who's the greatest point guard of all time. And in most people's eyes, the greatest of all time and by far and the greatest shooting guard of all time, and arguably the greatest athlete of all time, Michael Jordan. So he's in that company as well. Dwight Howard, he went gets his ring. Got to give him his props. He's a future Hall of Famer. Everybody was saying, oh, he's not a future Hall of Famer. No, he, even before the championship, he was a no-doubt first battle Hall of Famer in my eyes. And this championship just solidifies it. Like, he took, he came to the Lakers, knew he was going to take a lesser role, and he accepted his role. It's very hard. When you're a superstar in the league, when you've been number one all your life and to put your ego aside and sacrifice for the team and he accepted his role for the Lakers to win a championship. And he was a big part of their defense being elite and helping them on the boards, being one of the best rebounding teams in the league. And then lastly, he might not get a lot of his credit because LeBron, he had two superstars, LeBron and AD. Frank Vogel, man, that coach is amazing. He installed that defensive mindset for the Lakers. He put it all together. And they they succeeded, man. He broke down that heat that heat zone defense that the Bucks struggled with, and the Celtics struggled with, and he he straight up obliterated it. So I just want to give props to Frank Vogel as well because I don't feel like he's not gonna get his credit. And yeah, man, the Lakers are your 2020 NBA champions. You can hate them or not, but you gotta give them their props, man. So I'm happy. Salute to LeBron James, AD, Frank Vogel, Rondo in the squad. Y'all deserve this, man. Y'all deserve this. Through all the trials and tribulations, y'all did it. And congrats. Yeah. Before I get more into the NBA, I just want to touch on college sports real quick. Because I forgot to do this in some of my last few episodes. But I got some important news. So NCAA, there'll be a college basketball season. 
for men and women's college basketball that will start November 25th. According to ESPN staff writer Jeff Borzello, the 2020-21 men's college men's basketball season will start November 25th for the NCAA Division I. The council followed its voting, said no exhibition games or scrimmages can be held before Thanksgiving Day. He's in a quote, the new season start date near the Thanksgiving holiday provides the optimal opportunity to successfully launch the basketball season, said uh, Dan Gavitt, senior vice president of the NCAA. is a grand compromise of sorts and a unified approach that focuses on the health and safety of student-athletes competed towards the 2021 Division I basketball championships. I'm just excited that there's going to be college basketball, to be honest. I can't wait to watch some of these. And there's been a lot of hype building up to the 2021 NBA draft. There's some great prospects next year's draft. Next year's draft is projected to be one of the best in recent memory, way better than this year's. There's some top guys who aren't even playing college basketball this year, such as Jalen Green, Isaiah Todd, Jonathan Kaminga. Yeah, we're going to get more into that on a different episode, talk about the top prospects for 2021. But, yeah, some top college guys, Cade Cunningham, he's projected to be one of the best point guard prospects in recent memory. Six foot seven point guard with a seven-foot wingspan. Could create for others. Could get active on the defensive end. Makes his teammates better. He needs to improve his jump shot a little bit. But, man, this is some transcendent talent in this draft. Evan Mobley, seven-foot center. He needs to get stronger, but he's an elite shot blocker, elite rebounder. He can, He's raw on offense, but he looks like he can be special. There's just, just some great talent in this year's draft, man. We're going to get more now in the future episode, but I just want to quickly touch on that. 2021 draft, it's going to be one for the ages if it lives up to the hype. But, yeah, so, and I... So, and I quote, um, by Thanksgiving week, the day of November 25th, 76% of all Division I schools will have either finished their fall semester completely or released the general student body for in-person instruction, uh, Dan Gavitt said on the webinar. So, by November, most kids, most colleges will be back home to finish school online. So, those kids that are in person will be coming back home online, so there'll be less um, exposure to the virus. There'll be less people on campus. So I guess it kind of makes sense why they're going to start the season in November because then it'll, it'll reduce the risk of spreading the virus among people. Uh, then Gavitt also said, there's a waiver process always that can be utilized. The oversight committees are not very open-minded about supporting waivers to start earlier than the 25th. They didn't even allow for any scrimmage or exhibition game to be completed before the 25th. It'll be an extremely high bar to get a waiver granted to start the season any earlier than November 25th. Yes, because before November 25th, before Thanksgiving break, all this, a lot of kids are on campus. There's more kids on campus, and it'll be more exposure to the virus. So it makes sense for them to wait till after Thanksgiving. The Division One Council also changed the maximum number of games the team can play and the minimum number of games required to be considered for an NCAA championship selection. The maximum number of games was reduced by four, with teams allowed to play 24 or 25 games, plus one multiple team event. The minimum number of games was reduced by 50%, dropping to 13 games. There was a recommendation by both the men's and women's basketball committees to play a minimum of four non-conference games. So women's teams can schedule 23 games plus one multiple team event or 25 games without a multiple team event. 
there'll be full preseason practices that can begin October 14th. Next Wednesday, October 14th, teams can start practices with 30 practices committed over the 42 days before the start of the season. The council also approved a transition period that allows teams to participate in strength and conditioning and skill instruction for up to 12 hours per week between September 21st and October 13th. So if there was no corona, no COVID-19, the season was originally expected to begin November 10th, like every year with the Men's Championship Classic involving the top blue bloods, top colleges that bring the top prospects every year usually in Duke, Michigan State, Kansas, and Kentucky. It's unclear when or how the early season events and non-conference games scheduled for the first two weeks of the season will occur. There's been talk of bubbles and controlled environments, as Gavitt referred to them last week, under consideration for a number of non-conference tournaments, sources told ESPN. So the November 25th day is also only a guideline for the start date, as conferences and individual schools will make adjustments to fit the framework of the Division I Council's plan for the season. Senior Vice President Dan Gavitt also said that NCA is still planning for the NCA tournament to proceed as scheduled with 68 teams and 14 sites in March and April. The Division I Council also extended the recruiting dead period through January 1st, and there has been a dead period in place since March, with no official campus visits or evaluation periods allowed during that time. This extension, however, means that the early signing periods in basketball, which is November 11th to 18th, and football, which starts on December 16th, will occur during the dead period. And while the council, and this is what council chair and uh, Penn athletic director M. Grace Calhoun said, and I quote, while the council acknowledged and appreciates the growing desire to resume in-person recruiting by select coaches associations, council members ultimately concluded the primary concern right now must be protecting the current student athletes on our campuses. We encourage our coaches to interact with prospective student athletes virtually in this time period. So, yeah, I just want to get that in because that's very important. Whether you love college sports, whether it's football, basketball, baseball, you name it, this is a good time for Division One athletes. There's going to be some sort of season, so you guys get to play in front of people and play the game you love. And I'm very excited for college basketball because I can't wait to see some of these top prospects, man. This is a better draft this year, 2021 coming up, than 2020 and 2019, to be honest. Those drafts were pretty much top-heavy. They're not really deep. 2021 has it all top heavy and deep like there's gonna be so much great talent in that draft and i just can't wait to see it man and kentucky i'm gonna watch brendan boston jr like he he's something man he reminds me of brendan ingram he even looks like brendan ingram <laughs> you got duke it was always in the running for top one of the top teams in the country michigan state it's good it's, good. it's gonna be exciting to see man but yeah college basketball will be here Thanks after Thanksgiving, guys. So get ready. But next up, we're going to get into football. The Houston Texans fired Bill O'Brien. We're going to get into um, week four NFL takeaways and more. So don't go anywhere. Before that, we'll be right back.
So those of you people with football or even if you don't, I'm going to inform you right now. So Houston Texans, they fired the recent, their head coach and GM, Bill O'Brien, after an 0-4 start to the season. And, man, I feel bad for Deshaun Watson, man. He's such a talented quarterback, and his team has really taken, like, a step, like, back in, like, trying to help him to reach his ultimate goal, which I know is to win a Super Bowl. Um... So the McNair family, which owns the team, fired O'Brien after the Texans felt um they fell to uh, 4 own four in the season on Sunday, losing to the previously winless Minnesota Vikings. Man, ouch. That's that's bad. <laughs> so and I quote, so this is what uh CEO Cal McNair had to say of the and Texans chairman had to say on the the firing of Bill O'Brien. And I quote, on behalf of my Family and our entire organization, I want to sincerely thank Bill O'Brien and his family for the impact on our franchise. Bill's leadership moved our organization forward as he guided us to four AFC South Division championships, 52 wins, and multiple playoff appearances during his tenure. And then on Monday evening, O'Brien, he thanked McNair and his family for hiring him and said he is sorry that he couldn't, that we couldn't get this team over the hump. And I kind of, I mean, you kind of, he he did trade over. He is the GM, so he's the one who traded DeAndre Hopkins. That was a big mistake on his part, and I feel like that's probably the main reason he got fired. You traded away one of the best wide receivers for who? Draft picks and then some guys who are nowhere near his level. Like he, it kind of it's kind of his fault if you really look at it. That's why I I believe like most coaches should not be GMs too. It's just too much to handle because most don't are not successful at doing both at the same time. Look at Doc Rivers, what happened to him in NBA. He got fired. Like, it's it's very, it's a very stressful. It's a very stressful job. Uh, it's what Brian had to say also, and I quote, in the end, in this business, it's, it's a bottom line business. We weren't able to get it to where we needed to get it. I understand we fell short in terms of taking this team further in the playoffs, but I do leave knowing that myself and this staff gave everything this organization deserved and more. We worked very, very hard to try to get this to a place where it could be a championship program. We just didn't get it done. And O'Brien, who was hired by the McNair family in 2014 after he spent two years at Penn State, and then he spent seven seasons in Houston where he went 52-48 and and won four division titles. The Texans, who have never made an AFC championship game in franchise history, came close in January, but then they choked that 24-0 lead in the second quarter of the divisional round playoffs which allowed the great Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs to come back and win 51 to 31. 51 unanswered points to their seven points they scored in that game. They basically they choked. Simple as that, they choked. They couldn't get and he said also, we couldn't get over the hump last year, the year before, and obviously early on this year, but it wasn't from lack of effort. We did win four division championships here that we're very proud of. Won four division championships in 6 years. So we did a lot of good things here, but we didn't do enough. We didn't bring a Super Bowl to Houston, which I believe eventually someone will. I think this is a championship team that needs to get things turned around right now, but I believe in this team. So, but that's what goes without saying. So after they fired general manager Brian Gain in 2019, Bill O'Brien was also was given more power to personnel, but was not named GM. Later that year, O'Brien, he traded away number one draft pick Davion Clowney to the Seattle Seahawks. And he also traded away two first-round picks and a second-round pick to Miami Dolphins for left tackle Laremi Tunso and wide receiver Kenny Stills. 
And in this offseason, when he was named general manager in January, he made one of the most controversial moves like I mentioned earlier. He traded away one of the top five wide receivers in the NFL and DeAndre Hopkins to the Arizona Cardinals for a running back, David Johnson, and a second-round pick in the 2020 NFL Draft. Through four games this season, Johnson is averaging 3.86 yards per rush, 37th among qualified rushers, while Hopkins leads the NFL with 39 catches. I'm telling you, man, that Hopkins trade is what cost him his job. Like, I don't even have to look into any other details. That Hopkins trade cost him his job. If they had DeAndre Hopkins, I'm telling you right now, the Texans will not be 0-4, and Bill O'Brien will still have his job right now. That that cost him his job, man. Man. So Hopkins has caught 85% of his targets, according to research by ESPN Stats and Information. He made a big mistake. He made a big, big mistake. And Bill Bryan also had to say, I tried to do every day what was best for the organization, what was asked of me. I really did. Did we make mistakes? Obviously, we made mistakes. I don't think anybody's perfect, but we worked really hard to field a competitive team. We had a competitive team for years here. I think this is a competitive team. Obviously, you have to win games to be really considered that way. But we haven't gotten it done. In the end, I did always what was asked of me, whether it was Bob McNair or Cal or Janice McNair, and tried to do the best I could. And according to ESPN's roster management system, the Texans had the highest total team cash value and salaries this season at $245,919,861. Man. And then the Texans before the season, according to ESPN's Football Power Index, said they had the toughest schedule in the league, facing the Chiefs, Baltimore Ravens, and Pittsburgh Steelers before they lost to the Vikings on Sunday. And the 1992 Chargers are the only team in NFL history to make the playoffs after an 0-4 start. But now that they had their tough schedule, um, now that they got the toughest part of the schedule out of the way, they now have the fourth easiest schedule the rest of the way throughout the season. Defensive end and star defensive end J.J. Watt, who called the who called the start terrible, brutal, and depressing, said something has to change for the Texans to turn around. He said, we obviously have to do something different. We are 0-4. Whatever we're doing is not working. Something needs to change. Something needs to be different. And I'm telling you, man, I don't know who's going to be their head coach next. I don't know. I don't know, man. Because Bill O'Brien, like, yeah, you can feel for the guy, but... As a GM, he made some really questionable and controversial decisions. I really think that DeAndre Hopkins trade really cost him his job and is the reason why they're losing games. So it's going to be interesting to see going forward who the next Houston Texans coach will be and what impact he'll make on the franchise. So now let's get into some of these NFL games. So first, I'm going to start off and talk about the Browns versus Cowboys. Man, that, that was something, man. I thought... I thought the Cowboys would win this game, but they allowed 49 points to the Browns, who really aren't even that great because Baker Mayfield, he's just an average quarterback. And they allowed 49 points to this team. Damn, man. So, and the the Cleveland Browns had 508 total yards to the Cowboys, 566 total yards. Um, The Cleveland Browns had 33 first downs to the Cowboys, 35. And the Browns completed 5 of 11 attempts on third down efficiency. The Cowboys, 6 of 11 attempts. But to start off the game, Miles Garrett sacks Prescott to open up the game to give the Browns momentum, give them that feel for the game, and make their defense put pressure on their offense. 
The Browns play trickery. They played trickery on that one fake pass. Baker may throw for a handoff to Landry, who threw a bomb to Odell Beckham for a 37-yard touchdown. When I saw that, oh my, my mouth dropped. I said, how can how can the Cowboys defense allow that, man? A wide receiver threw a 30 over a 30-yard touchdown off a fake handoff. To oh my, I don't know how they allowed that, man. I, that play was just amazing. And so, according to my notes, um, Prescott he also threw a touchdown to CeeDee Lamb to tie the game seven to seven. But one thing I took away from the game also that Ezekiel Elliott, man, he was really he's been really struggling, man. He struggled on in this game, only rushing for 54 yards on 12 carries for no touchdowns. And he had eight receptions for 70 yards and had no touchdowns. He was just shut down throughout the whole game, and he was a non-factor throughout the whole game. He didn't make an impact on the game at whatsoever in the rushing or passing game. So later on in the game, Prescott threw a flamethrower touchdown to Amari Cooper. That was an amazing pass to take a 14-7 lead at the two-minute mark of the first quarter. But then Baker Mayfield comes back and throws a touchdown to Odell to tie the game 14-14 early in the second quarter. And then Miles Garrett forces a fumble to give the Browns extra opportunities throughout the game and was making an impact all game with other great defensive players on that team make, making their presence felt against Cowboys offenses such as um, Terrace Mitchell, B.J. Goodson, Carl Joseph. All these guys had multiple tackles and were making big impacts on the Browns' defense to make it tough on the Cowboys' offense. Um, May, and then Mayfield later on in the game will throw a touchdown to Austin Hooper to take the lead 21-14. Elliott had a very costly fumble, which would eventually lead to Kareem Hunt touchdown possessions later, pushing the Browns' lead 28-14 over the Cowboys. And then Mayfield, he, he's just an average quarterback, but in this game he was finding guys like Beckham, Jarvis, um, Jarvis Landry, Harrison Bryant, and guys like that for multiple first-down opportunities to give them extra possessions. Kareem Hunt ran for another touchdown in the game, and Kareem Hunt, he had two touchdowns for the game on 11 carries and 71 yards to push the lead 38 to 14. Jacob Phillips forced the turnovers on down, denying the first down opportunity on fourth and short for the Cowboys. And man, they have had a lot of that this season. Am I right? On fourth and short, they have not been able to convert and get the first down. They've been turning the ball over a lot this season, man. The Browns, so the Browns hit a field goal to extend the lead 41 to 14, getting blown out in the game. And then later on, Tony Pollard scores a touchdown to make it 41 to 20, and the Cowboys convert on a conversion to Elliott to make it 41 to 22 to kind of make things a little better. But then they're still getting blown out, obviously. And that Prescott throws an amazing pass to Dalton Schultz on their tight ends, who converts on the conversion to make it 41 to 30. And then he throws he throws amazing passes to Schultz Cooper to give them momentum on three straight possessions then runs to get the first down and then eventually a touchdown to C.D. Lamb for his first career touchdown to make it 41 to 36 and four straight great possessions for the Cowboys. Yeah, those those, those like those events of possessions like those like the, that four those four streaks of possessions in a row. I, I was looking good for the Cowboys. I thought they were going to make a comeback, but then Cooper converts the conversion to make it 41 to 38. But then the rounds come back, man. They flip to Beckham, who jukes, fakes, and tricks the defense all the way to a touchdown, looking like the elite wide receiver, he, the talent he has that he once was. I think he still has it, but it's just the system is not utilizing him correctly. He eventually gets a touchdown and push the score 47-38, to 38, and, and they convert on the two-point conversion to make the score 49-38. At this point, the game was over, 
And then to capitalize it off and finish the game off, they Denzel Ward gets a big interception to diminish the Cowboys' hopes of a comeback, man. Man, the Cowboys, it, like, their offense, they, they love to seem like they love playing down, man. Like, come, like they, they play their best when they're down big, which is not good, man. You got to stop having that mentality. You're not always going to be able to come back. This is professional football. And it's their defense that really kills them, if you look at it. Like, they allow big points on this Browns team, which really is not that dynamic of an offense, to be honest. It's their rushing game that really helps them win games because Baker Mayfield is not a... He's not a great thrower of the football, and he's not fast. So it's their running game that really gets them their points, and they couldn't shut that down. Seahawks, they lost two. Um, their defense couldn't shut anybody down. Um, Falcons, they got lucky. The Falcons choked. That's how they have their one win. Like, it's just it's just crazy, man. It's really, really crazy. Um, Yeah. Uh, what else I was gonna say? So now, now what's it called? I'm gonna talk about um the Buccaneers now. So Buccaneers, I know they played last night, but I'm gonna talk about the Week Four game first. The Chargers and Buccaneers. So Tom Brady was sensational with five touchdowns in the Chargers game, where he had one interception and threw for 369 yards, completing 30 of his 46 passes, looking like vintage Tom Brady. He threw one of his five touchdowns to Cam Cam and Bray to take the lead 7-0. And then Herbert comes back with a spectacular deep throw to Tyrod Johnson for a touchdown to tie the game 7-7. Michael Davis will later on intercept one of Brady's passes to bring it all the way home for a touchdown to take the to take the lead 14-7 for the Chargers. And then Herbert, man, Justin Herbert, he's looking, him and Joe Burrow are looking straight up amazing. These rookie quarterbacks have been looking very good, man. Like, once they get polished under their game and get more reps... Like they and they continue improving their games, they could be legit star quarterbacks. Like, and it's just amazing what I've seen so far in the small sample size we've seen of these guys. Herbert was looking sensational again, throwing for nearly 300 yards and three touchdowns, completing 20 of his 25 passes. Looking like he could be one of the next great quarterbacks. He threw a touch, he threw to Donald Parham for a touchdown to take a commanding 21 7 lead on the Buccaneers, and then he avoided a sack to throw a first down to Keenan Allen. The Chargers then hit a 54-yard 50, field goal to take a 24-7 lead. And the Chargers have a, had a costly fumble near the goal to give the Buccaneers a sign of hope before going into the first half, which will eventually lead to a Mike Evans touchdown from Tom Brady to make the score 24-14 heading into the half. Brady will then throw a deep beauty to O.J. Howard, who will get a touchdown to close the gap 24-21 to make it a field goal game. And Keenan Allen catches a wild pass for a first down, showing his amazing athleticism. The Chargers will then miss a field goal to push the lead. And Brady will throw a touchdown to Scotty Miller, who will get a touchdown in the next possession among the score 28 to 24 with 52 seconds left in the third. With 12 seconds left in the third, Herbert will throw a 72 yard beauty. Oh my God. That, when I was watching that, my mouth dropped. For a rookie, yo, that looks like a prime superstar. He threw a 72 yard beauty to Jalen Guyton for a touchdown to make it. 31-28 heading to the fourth. And then Brady throws another um, beauty to Evans for a deep first down gain early in the fourth, leading to a Keyshawn Vaughn touchdown on the next possession to take the lead 35-41. to 41. And then he'll throw it first down to shrink to get within goal range late in the fourth. Buccaneers hit a field goal to make it a touchdown game. But then Herbert had a costly turnover intercepted by Carlton Davis, evaporating their hopes of winning the game. Yeah, man. 
the Buccaneers, they got lucky to win that game, but they were supposed to win that game. But we're going to also get into the their game last night against the Bears where Brady had a costly, costly turnover, man, and it cost them the game. But then starting off week five, the Buccaneers played last night against the Bears, and the Buccaneers lost 19-20 to to the Bears to drop to 3-2 and on the season. And man... Man, 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 did Brady have a costly turnover. So, in the Tom Brady era in Tampa Bay, there has been a mixed bag of good and bad going on throughout the season. But, man, there was an entertaining point of the season last night, especially for Brady's haters, such as Max Kellerman and Shannon Sharp. So, it was pretty much less than a minute left. They were driving down the field 2019 against the Bears. Brady was faced with a do-or-die moment, and he has been faced with a lot of those throughout his illustrious career as the greatest quarterback of all time. It was do-or-die moment on fourth and six at his own 41-yard. And Brady's pass to Cameron Bray was broken up, giving the Bears the win. And I remember one pay, play, um, uh, man, I was watching, I was looking up uh, on, on Instagram, ESPN, man, Khalil Mack, he threw that, that tackle, you know, whoever that was, offensive lineman, like he was nothing. He was 6'5", 320 pounds, and they threw him like he was some lightweight some lightweight kid, man. Like, Khalil Mack is ridiculously strong. And he was, and then there was memes that it was really fourth down, but Brady was signaling to his team it was third down. He was looking confused out there. And I was seeing J.R. Smith memes, like how J.R. Smith drew out the shot clock, and he had no clue the clock was going down and that they needed a, a basket to score. And it cost LeBron James that game in 2000, game one of the 2018 finals. It was kind of similar to that moment. However, Brady was signaling to the refs, he thought he still had fourth down to work with, but he was incorrect in that regard. That's, that was that was just insane, man. He was he's one of the most successful, but also disliked quarterbacks in NFL history to losing the game with a brain fart, especially after he was seen screaming at a teammate on the sideline. Oh my God, this this is just crazy, man. Aaron Magic Johnson tweeted on put on Twitter, "I can't believe six-time Super Bowl champion Tom Brady lost track of downs in their 2019 loss to the Bears." Clarence Hill Jr. said, did Brady not know what down it was? Oh, my gosh. Adam Hoach said, you don't get five downs, Tom. Man, like, he was getting destroyed on Twitter. It was just otherworldly what was going on, man. And it's going to – I hope he bounces back because that's what the GOAT does, man. Like, he is the greatest quarterback of all time, and I think he has the mental toughness to come back. So, hopefully this team pulls it together and they and they do what's necessary to bounce back from this because this was this – was, mostly Brady's fault man it's, you gotta put this on Brady man you're the leader of the team you gotta take ownership of that he had only one touchdown throughout the whole game on 253 yards a pedestrian game and completed 25 of his 41 pass, passes I'll give him this though he didn't have no interceptions which is good but one touchdown for the whole game is not good enough and the Bears Nick Foles did his thing he had 243 yards on one touchdown one interception and completed 30 of his 42 passes and they did what they needed to do man they did what they needed to do. Man, like, Brady, man, that cost them the game. They only had 339 total yards to the Bears, 243. Like, both teams are struggling to really get any good looks in the running game or passing game. That's low yardage for a professional football game, total yards. No team threw for over four, had a total yards of 400 yards or more, which is very low for the NFL. Both teams got sacked three times. The Buccaneers had one fumble, and the Bears had one interception. 
And the third down efficiency for both teams was atrocious. The Buccaneers had four, to, four out of 14 third down efficiency, and the uh, Bears only converted on three of their 10 attempts. So both teams were really struggling offensively, but the Bears got lucky that Brady made that brain fart and he made that big mistake down the stretch, which led them to the win because if Brady didn't, if that didn't cost them the game, man, they probably, like, they didn't even get within field goal. They could have gotten within field goal range a little closer if they got the first down, and they could have won the game in that regard. But let's see what we'll see how they bounce back, and it's going to be a, a, a test to their mental toughness, a testament to their mental toughness, how they come back next week and go on throughout further throughout the season. So we'll see how things go with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers throughout the season. But let's get into a few other games. So there was also the um, Patriots and Chiefs game. So they started the Chiefs. They they started off very slow. It wasn't their best game by their standards at all. They only scored um, 26 points in the whole game when they usually score 30 or more. Mahomes had a normal game by his standards, only two touchdowns and 236 yards, completing 19 of his 29 passes. But he started off the game with bullet passes to Hill and Watkins. Um, the Patriots defense made it hard for the Chiefs in the first half, limiting them to just one touchdown in the entire first half. They literally only had six points going to the half. That that dynamic Chiefs offense, they shut down to one touchdown. Now, you got to give them credit. But the Patriots, they really struggled within their offense, and many receivers were dropping passes. But I want to point this out. Cam Newton, if you guys didn't know, was out with the coronavirus. He couldn't play in the game because he tested positive for COVID-19. And he, him and Patrick Mahomes have not faced off once yet in their entire careers, which is crazy. It's just crazy for me to believe because Patrick Mahomes has been in the league now. It's what, his third season really starting? Cam Newton, they never played. He's either been injured or out the league. This is crazy to think this is their first. They still haven't played to get against each other in the NFL yet. Two amazing quarterbacks. But yeah, Cam Newton was out for COVID-19 and it showed in their um, offensive attack. Like the receivers are dropping passes. The, the quarterbacks didn't. When I looked at them throw the ball, man, it didn't. It didn't look that sharp or crisp. The throws they were throwing to them, it looked kind of weak and wobbly. Like they weren't throwing good passes to wide receivers, and they have some of the worst wide receiver talent in the league. The Patriots, but the Chiefs really struggled in their running game, and their their game in total. Like they only had rushing 94 yards in the entire game, and then 229 passing yards in total for a low total of 323 yards in the entire game, which is not. The normal Chiefs offense, they usually have at least 450-plus yards in each game, passing, combined passing and rushing. Um, both Patriots quarterbacks, Brian Hoyer and Jason Stidham, had some costly interceptions that gave, they gave to the Chiefs, which really turned the momentum in the game. And one of them was, man, like, they had a pass to Julian Edelman on that one play I was watching, and Edelman dropped the pass. It went right through his hands which resulted in an interception by Tyron Matthew for a touchdown for the Chiefs, which pushed the lead to 26-10 to and put the game basically out of reach for the Patriots. But the Chiefs were not good in their third-down efficiency, like I said before, compared to, their, compared to their normal standards, only completing four out of 11 attempts on third down. And Nikhil Harry was the only Patriots to score a touchdown, which shows the lack of elite receivers and QB play with Cam Newton being out. So, yeah, man, that game, that game was just wild, man. But let's get into other scores around the NFL. So you got the um, Broncos beat the Jets 37-28. Sam Darnold had that one good play where he rushed for like 46 yards. He was looking good there. But they still lost the game. They now dropped to 
0-4 in the season, and the Broncos are now 1-3. The Saints beat the Lions 35-29. Saints are now 2-2 two two to make the record 500, and the Lions are now 1-3. Drew Brees had two touchdowns, one interception, completed 19 with 25 passes on 256, 246 yards. Matthew Stafford had 206 yards, three touchdowns, one interception, and completed 17 with 31 passes. Adrian Peterson only had one touchdown on the Lions for 11 carries, 36 yards. He basically got shut down. The Saints, they can be a Super Bowl contender, but it's all based on if they can stay healthy. If Drew Brees doesn't show his age and plays like he's not aging at all, and if their defense can show up. If those things happen, they have a legit chance to win the Super Bowl this year. But those things have to happen for them to capitalize on that. The Bengals beat the Jaguars 33 to 25 to go to now be have one win, one loss, and two ties. Jaguars now drop to one and three. Man, Joe Burrow had one touchdown, one interception, but he threw for 300 yards on 25 of 36 passes he completed. He he's been looking elite, like I mentioned earlier. Um, him and Joe, um, Justin Herbert have been looking like true two elite young quarterbacks who look like they could be part of the next wave of great quarterbacks that we have in the league, along with Deshaun Watson, Lamar Jackson, Patrick Mahomes, Russell, you name it. Um, Texans lost to the Vikings, man. Texans, they're, they're, I, and they, like I mentioned earlier, they lost to the Vikings. That's why Bill O'Brien got fired. And part of the reason they traded away the, one of the best wide receivers in the game, DeAndre Hopkins. The Vikings have one of the worst teams in the league and worst offenses in the league, and they still lost to them. Man, I feel bad for Deshaun Watson. He threw for two touchdowns, 300 yards, and completed 20 of his 33 passes. But it just wasn't enough. He just doesn't have the the same wide receiver attack that he had when Hopkins was there. <clears throat> and it shows. It really does. The Vikings are not that great of a team. Kirk Cousins is an average quarterback by my standards. He completed 260 yards. He threw for 260 yards, one touchdown, and threw for a 16 of completed 16 with 22 passes. Dalvin Cook... Uh, rushed for two touchdowns, 27 carries on 130 yards. He was a beast in the game. Straight up beast. Showing why he's one of the best running backs in the entire league. Uh, Seahawks beat the Dolphins 31-23 to now go 4-0 in the season. I think them and the Chiefs, if I believe correctly, are the only undefeated teams in the league left. Russell Wilson has two touchdowns, one interception, and completed 24 of his 34 passes for 360 yards. Man, like... Whew, they, 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 they looked them. They, Russell Wilson, man, their defense is not that elite, but they're still undefeated. And it's because of this guy. And he's my front runner for MVP right now. I love Mahomes, but Russell Wilson is that guy right now. Him and Aaron Rodgers are my top two MVP candidates right now. Like Mahomes, he has time to catch up throughout the season because they still have a lot of games to go through throughout the season. There's still a lot of football left to be played, but Mahomes and Rodgers are my top two right now. Uh, Cardinals lost to the Panthers, 31 to 21. The drop to two and two in the season. Um, Kyler Murray had three touchdowns, no interceptions, but he only threw for 133 yards on 20, completing 24 of his 31 passes. So, and DeAndre Hopkins, he had no touchdowns. He only received seven passes for 41 yards, a pedestrian game by his standards. But the, so the Panthers pretty much shut them down that game. Ravens defeat the Washington Football Team as they should. Uh, 31 to 17, and I'll go 3 and 1 in the season. Lamar Jackson looked great. I mean, he looked all right. He only threw for 193 yards for one, two for two touchdowns, one interception, completing 14 with 21 passes. Dwayne Haskins.
But Dwayne Haskins, uh, the quarterback for the Washington football team, who's only in the second year, he threw for 314 yards and completed 32 of his 45 passes, but had no touchdowns and no interceptions. But the team decided to bench him for undrafted free agent Kyle Allen, who got the start in week five. And Haskins was demoted all the way down to the third string now with Alex Smith, who is now coming back from that life-threatening leg injury he suffered in 2018 um, with the Chiefs, I believe, and has not played an NFL game since 2018. And then now there's talks about him getting traded, and it's just a nightmare, man. He was a 2019 first-round pick who, had, who, who, going into the week, had a dreadful week. And the NFL trade line is November 3rd. We're going to keep an eye on that in the future when all trades are going to go down. But, man, he's just a second-year player, and it's just crazy to see what's going on with his career and what this team's doing to him. Because last year, he didn't, he even, he didn't even get to start at all. Like, And then now it's his first season actually getting time, get reps, and they're just treating him like this. Like, this is the way you're treating him. Like, I feel like he has talent. He just needs to learn and the proper coaching and the reps so he can get better. And uh, and, and the coach, Ron Rivera, Man, and it's and it's been rumors early earlier in the week that the young senior caller's relationship with uh, his head coach Ron Rivera had frayed and reached toxic levels. So that's probably playing a big part why there's been trade talks and getting rid of him. Because if if you don't have a good relationship, when you're the leader of a franchise, say you're a quarterback on a football team or the point guard of a basketball team, you're the leader of the franchise. You're running a you're running men, a group of men. And you and you're not you're supposed to be have a great relationship with your head coach because you're the you're the other head coach on the field or court. You're the one leading the guys. You're the one calling the plays, calling the actions, leading the group of men. You need to have a great relationship with your head coach. And that's probably the reason why they want to train him, uh, trade him away, because it has reached toxic levels with Ron Rivera, who's known as a pretty solid head coach in the National Football League. And Wayne Haskins is looking real bad right now, man. I hope I hope it's not true. That's to- it's reaching toxic levels, but like the dude has talent, man. He just needs to get his head screwed on straight and get a gr- like a real opportunity to show what he can do and get more reps so he can get better. Um, uh, according to CBS Sports, uh, there's a strong perception that Haskins only became the starter of the franchise because of his personal relationship with team owner Daniel Daniel Snyder. Um, he also cited that Haskins' personality as a point of friction between him and members of the coaching staff. Man, that's I just I just hope he he finds the right situation for him and he matures as a young man to get better because he really does have some talent, man. Like he he really does have some talent. Like I'm not going to lie, he has talent. He's no scrub. He just needs to put it all together. He just needs to put it all together, man. He was a 15th overall pick in 2019 when Jay Gruden was a uh led was a head coach at Washington and then he was fired 5 games into Haskins' tenure with the team which quickly led to Rivera becoming the head coach. And, yeah, Kyle Allen, he overlapped with Rivera in his final season with the Panthers, and now he's with the Redskins um, football team, Washington football team, excuse me. And during those times when Cam Newton was injured, Kyle Allen, he had 13 games, and he passed for 3,322 yards, 17 touchdowns, and 16 interceptions in 2019. And then Washington required him in exchange for a 2020 fifth-round pick. And then, yeah, man, they're now 1-4 on the season, and they'll take on the winless Giants in week six. So it's going gonna, it's gonna to be really, really um, polarizing to see what happens. Because I, I think he'll get traded because it doesn't seem like they really want him, and there's been reports about his attitude problem. But, yeah.
Uh, yeah, man, that's that's week four. That's week four NFL. And what other games we're gonna talk about? The Colts beat the Bears nineteen to eleven. Bills beat the Raiders thirty to twenty three. Um, Eagles beat the 49ers twenty five to twenty. Chiefs beat the Patriots in week four twenty six to ten. The Packers beat the Falcons thirty to sixteen. Like I mentioned earlier, I don't want to get into the week five takeaways yet because that's for the next for next week and next episode when I do it. But yeah, so that's week four NFL takeaways for you guys. Well, yeah, I'm going to quickly get into other NFL news that have been going on lately. So, man, you know, 2020 has been the year of the unthinkable, the coronavirus and everything going on, social justice. But this coronavirus isn't going anywhere, man. Like, I know it's been well over half a year now. And this has been in our lives, shut, shutting everything down. But we got to still, like, coin, like put masks on, socially, socially distance, because this thing isn't going anywhere. And, and football, they thought... This will wouldn't affect them, but man, it has. The Denver Broncos and Patriots game had to be postponed, to and now it's gonna be played on Tuesday, because there are players being tested positive for COVID, and I think this is the first time I think in my entire lifetime a game has ever been a fo- NFL football game will be on a Tuesday night. That's just insane, and um, they had to shut down the Patriots facility. You have players testing positive, such as Cam Newton, which is the reason why he didn't play in the Patriots game last weekend, last Sunday. Not this past Sunday, last Sunday, week in week four against the Chiefs, and they eventually got uh, blown out because he, he has a big impact on their offense. He he wasn't able to play, um, and now the the Jets had a positive COVID nineteen test for uh, players and um, coaches were sent home after a positive COVID nineteen test, and they, and then they had a they had to host the Cardinals this past Sunday for week five of the NFL, and. They lost to the Cardinals, thirty to ten, and they were they were allowed to have the game because they also tested the players before the game, and the test most of the tests were negative for COVID after they had um, initial reactions that there were positive tests, and this is what the Jets statement had to say: um, This evening we received negative PCR COVID nineteen results for all players and coaches. And personnel following a presumptive positive COVID-19 test and out of an abundance of caution to ensure everyone's health and safety, we sent all players and personnel home this morning. We also initiated all NFL-mandated protocols, including player isolation, so sequent testing and contact tracing. As we have thus far, we will continue to follow required health and safety protocols in the best interest of our coaches, players, staff, and community. We look forward to our game this Sunday against the Arizona Cardinals. Yeah, so... It it just goes to show you, man, this thing ain't going anywhere. There's been talks of a vaccine, potentially. I've been looking up on Google as well in November and December, but I just don't think it's very realistic. I don't think a legit vaccine will come out until, like, between next 2021, between March to July. I think we're going to still have to wear masks and stuff like that, like, for the next couple months, because I just don't see... I just don't see how this is just going to go away and how we're going to get back to our normal daily lives like life was before um, COVID hit, man. So, so, and so far, the NFL has had 60 cases of a player or staff member who has tested positive with no further transmission to anybody else in the organization. So this thing is really starting to take effect on the NFL. And I just hope, like, what happened with MLB um, when they first had the outbreak, with teams like the 
um, De- um, the Marlins, you had the St. Louis Cardinals, and you had other, another team, I forgot the name of it, um, who were testing positive for the coronavirus, and also um, team members like staff, um, personnel were testing positive for the coronavirus because, what's it called? Yeah, because it was spreading like crazy, and they had to postpone games and play games later on. They had to do doubleheaders same days to be able to finish the season on time. So, And you can't really do doubleheaders in football because how how much contact you take in that sport, the physical demand it puts on your body. So it's just crazy, man. And then um, the Patriots and Denver Broncos game, which was the Week 5 matchup against the Broncos, is being moved to next Sunday, October 18th. And the Denver's original game six week six um six game against Miami is being pushed back to later in the season. So this thing, this like the all the positive tests are just jumbling around the season. Like it's just messing all the schedules up for these teams. And NFL, I think, is gonna have to add another week. I think they are because you're gonna have to be able to finish these games, man, before the playoffs. And they don't want to really mess up their playoff schedule. I know that. And according to ESPN staff writer Mike um Reese, um, the Bronco Patriots game that had been scheduled for this Monday is now being moved all the way to next Sunday after Patriots had another new positive test for the coronavirus Sunday morning. Sources told um, ESPN's Adam Schefter. So the Patriots were in a bye week in week six while the Broncos were supposed to play Miami. The Dolphins Bronco game is now being rescheduled again. Aside from the one positive test, all pa- other Patriots tests were negative Sunday morning. Um, Broncos running back Melvin Gordon and safety Justin Simmons expressed their displeasure on Twitter. And I quote, ain't no way we practice all week and they canceled our game, he wrote and later added, I'm hot on God I am. Simmons wrote, injuries at an all-time high and our bye week was burned up with practices. Sheesh, man. This just goes to show you, like, just if, if, if just one person tests positive... Like it's that big. Like this, like this thing is very contagious. If just one person tests positive, this thing shuts everything down. No one could practice. No one come to practice facility. If just one person contracts the virus, that's all it takes. One person, one team, one player, coach, person, staff member. It doesn't matter. Janitor. It doesn't matter, man. It's crazy. So the NFL shut down the Patriots facility Sunday for the third time in the past 10 days while further testing is being conduct- conducted, according to ESPN's Adam Schefter, who's an NFL insider as well, one of the best in the business. Like, he, he's amazing. And ESPN's Field Yates. The Patriots had reopened their facility and held a practice Saturday at the facility was closed th- Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. Quarterback Cam Newton, like I mentioned earlier, who had the virus recently. I don't know if he still does. Um, cornerbacks... Stephon Gilmore, who's one of the best cornerbacks in the league, and practice squad defensive tackle Bill Murray are currently on the reserve COVID slash COVID nineteen list. It's crazy. They have a COVID nineteen list. And remember when the world was normal, man, when it was this injury list. Now there's a COVID nineteen list. So Newton's positive test came back on October third, which was when the Patriots were scheduled to travel to Kansas City for a game against the Chiefs the next day, but the facility was shut down and players and coaches were sent home. The game was then moved to Monday, which was last Monday. And the Patriots traveled that morning. Veteran cornerback Jason McCordy questioned whether the NFL was putting the team safety first, suggesting perhaps the game should have been postponed. Gilmore played every snap in the 26-10 loss to the Chiefs, and he tested positive for COVID-19 two days later. 
He was part of a group of close contacts to Newton who flew on a separate plane to Kansas City, and Murray had been placed on the reserve COVID-19 list the same day before. So the Patriots had three straight days without a positive test result before Sunday shut down. Man, like, it's there's a lot of stuff going on in the NFL now. A lot of players testing positive. It's just, it's just, it's just, it's not, you can't contain it, man. It's going to do what's want, what the virus wants to do. No one can stop it, man. No one can, no one can, no one can stop it. And it, it's just, it's just, I don't know what the NFL is going to do if players keep testing positive. And even the Tennessee Titans staff member tested positive for coronavirus and their facilities were closed as well as two. And according to ESPN's Tehran Davenport, who wrote this article, after two consecutive days of negative test results, a member of the Tennessee T- Titans team staff tested positive for coronavirus Sunday morning. So yesterday, this happened yesterday. And I and I quote, um, this morning we learned that a staff member tested positive. We have temporarily closed our facility and our communication with the league on the next steps, a team statement instead. The, the Titans have now received a total of 24 positive test results dating back to September 24th. So it's almost been a month this has been happening to them. The Titans have been ravaged by positive COVID tests. The Broncos, the Patriots. Like, it's starting to affect some of these teams, like, like really affect them. Sunday's positive test result was the 11th for a staff member and a total of 13 players tested positive over that time span. The Titans had to remove offensive tackle Isaiah Wilson and defensive back Greg Mabin from the reserve slash COVID-19 list Saturday, and they returned to the facility on Saturday for the first time since September 29th. Defensive lineman Daquan Jones and long snapper Vu Brinkley also were activated off the COVID-19 list Sunday. I And, and I quote, is what Titans coach Mike Vabrell said Saturday. I, along with the players and staff, like to tell you how excited we are to be back in the building to continue our prep for Buffalo. And Tennessee games, Tennessee's game against the Buffalo Bills was moved from Sunday to this. So, oh, the Tennessee Titans game is, and the Bills game is Tuesday from Sunday to Tuesday. And then that now now that game's in jeopardy now because you have another person testing positive. I, like I said before, it takes one person. They close. It takes one person for for any organization to close their whole facility down. And oh man. It's just, it's just insane. Ryan Tannehill of the Titans, who um, he said he has lost faith in the league's testing. Man, who was a quarterback of the Tennessee Titans, and like, it's just crazy, man. Uh, like a lot of players starting to not trust the NFL, and the Titans facing punishment for illegal practices because there are positive tests. They had as many as eight positive tests on September 29th, which forced them to shut down the facilities. But they had positive tests kept trickling out as late as October eighth. And Ryan Tannehill, man, he has a point, man. He has a point. He really does. He really does. Oh my God, this is this is just crazy, man. Ryan Tannehill said on the roller coaster team that has been on on difficulty of dealing with the uncertainty of COVID nineteen, how it affected his day to day. He said uh, it was a roller coaster for sure. Definitely the fact that we had guys with no symptoms testing positive. We had guys with full-blown symptoms getting consecutive negative tests in multiple days. It was really eye-opening. Just the fact of we really don't know, so we have to we have so we have to we have to treat everyone as if they have the virus. Unfortunately, really probably lost some faith in the testing system just through everything we've been through over the past week and a half. But we said that from the beginning that testing is not going to prevent the virus from being spread, 
It's the way we handle ourselves with all the protocols and handle ourselves outside the building as well. So it's been a roller coaster for sure. That's what Ryan Tannehill had to say, man. It's just like, bro, like this thing, this thing is unprecedented. Like we've never seen a virus like this before. Stop everything, shut down the country for months. And even affect sports. Like no one's safe, man. No one's indestructible. No one, like we all have to obey by the protocols and wear a mask and distance yourselves, distance yourselves, especially from people you don't know. And strangers, because you don't know. You could have, and it's just crazy, because i never seen a virus where you have no symptoms and you could catch it and die. It's crazy. It's just insane, man. But yeah, the NFL has a lot of lot of stuff they have to figure out with all these players testing positive, staff members, coaches, even some coaches. This past season, like, there's been a lot of coaches who were fined, big fines for not wearing masks on the sidelines, such as um John Gruden of the Raiders. And I remember Andy Reid, who had that big mask early in the season where he had, he had the, it was memes all over Instagram. He had, he had, he saw all the smog on his mask, the clear mask he was wearing over his face. It was crazy. But you can't blame the guy, man. He was doing what he needs to do, wear the mask. Because if you don't wear the mask, the league is going to, man, they're going to find you behind. They're going to find you, man. But yeah, that's, that's what's been going on with all the COVID-19 positive tests and postponements of games going on in the NFL. Games getting postponed weeks later like it's just crazy what's going on in NFL but yeah that's also that's the COVID-19 effect and how it's been affecting the NFL so yeah so I want to yeah I want to thank you guys if you get to this point for listening thank you guys all this for support all the listeners especially on that Anthony Simon interview I'd like to really thank you guys everyone who shouted me out and whoever listen, I want to thank you guys from all my heart and continue to support. Just trying to get better, man. And that's that's the goal, man. But yeah, it's been your boy DJ Hamilton. And this has been another edition of the DJ Sports Show. Till next time.